0: good morning again folks uh just before we we get into our study this morning which we're going to be turning to ephesians 5. um let's just spend a, a wee bit of time in prayer before we do so let's just uh, bow your heads with me and let's pray father as our country goes into uh, over a hundred days of lockdown lord we pray for the leaders in charge Lord, we pray for those making the decisions, Lord, we pray for schools, we pray for the NHS, Lord, we pray for the people who are making decisions how to phase things back where we have to get back to some sort of normality for the sake of the economy and for the sake of um, our, our kids, and but also, Lord, uh, for fear of this virus coming back. So, Lord, help us to, to be wise in, in our decisions. But Lord, as as we spend our 12th Sunday out of the church, uh, we're getting used to a new sense of normal. But Lord, this is not how church is supposed to be. Lord, it's, it's supposed to be about people coming together and the joy of being able to, to have our friends around us and to sing together and to worship together and to encourage one another and to share problems with one another and to build each other up and and set each other up for for a a week ahead. And so, Lord, we miss that. And so, Lord, for those who are watching this, uh, wherever they may be, Lord, just strengthen us, build us up, Lord, and we ask that you would really just keep our church united. Those friendships, those ties that bond, Lord, would still be strong. Lord, we want to also pray for ellen and the mccarty family uh, at this time lord with um andrew passing away on saturday morning lord we pray for the entire family for uh, the widow and children left behind and lord it's so hard because the first thing that we want to do is we want to run to them and we want to try and get alongside them and help and yet we feel that that's not the wisest thing to do in these circumstances so Lord, help us, show us as a church how to get alongside them, how we can love from a distance, how we can support them from a distance, until we can be close to. Them. And so, Lord, as we go into our study now, Lord, we we just pray for others, even in the church, who are grieving and are, are struggling to get alongside people. We remember the McAleese family and others at this time, Lord. And so, Lord, we, we bring our church family to you. We bring those who are, are struggling at this time of, of separation to you. And pray, Lord, that you would draw near this time. And so, Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen. Okay. Um, You know, when you think about it, sometimes it's amazing that any of us survive childhood. Uh, think about all the stubbed toes, the bike crashes, How many times you go out to play on a Saturday morning and you just didn't come back until it was tea time or you were hungry. Uh, Think about the trees that were climbed. Think about the trees that we fell out of. The bones that we broke because we fell out of the trees. The weird and random things that you ate. Uh, We walked to school by ourselves. Trampolines didn't even have nets. We drank from garden hoses. We didn't wear bike helmets and such was life. It's amazing we're all here. Okay, so maybe some of those things are more boys grown up than girls. But I've lost count of the number of times that I've been told growing up, be careful how you go. And, and to be honest, it hasn't really stopped whenever I got my driving license. Be careful how you go. When I went to university, be careful how you go. When I started dating Ruth, be careful. <laughs> but as we come to Ephesians 5 this morning, that's Paul's message to this church. Be careful how you go. It's mentioned seven times in this passage. Be careful. Watch your walk. Be careful how you go. And the reason we come to this passage this morning is that I believe it will give us the keys to unlocking the next part of God's will for our lives. But we need to see that surrounding these verses are warnings. Be careful. It's easy to get stuck here. It's easy to get around here. So be careful. And so we'll have to talk about some of these warnings before uh, we we get to the real point. But I just want to show you that point that we're getting to so we don't lose track of it. It's in verses 17 and 18 of Ephesians 5. And it says, therefore, okay, so that's why we're going to need to start a wee bit beforehand to see why he has the warnings first. But therefore, don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. And don't get drunk with wine. That's debauchery. But be filled with the spirit. So here's the flow of the series so far if you're going to track with us. What is God's will for my life? Well, number one, his will for my life is that I am saved. But what comes next? Well, we did that last time in response to what he has done for us. Okay, God, here I am. I'm on the altar. I'm a living sacrifice. Use me for your purposes. Here I am. But the question then has to be, okay, but I do have this tendency to squirm off the altar. I'm definitely one of those people who kind of is stagnant in their faith. How do I fight that fight of faith to stay in the place of surrender? Paul tells us. Well, first, got to be careful how you go. To walk this way, to stay in the altar, we have to be filled with the Spirit. So the flow of our series so far is God. God wants us to be saved, to sacrifice, to be Spirit-filled. Now the context of Paul's letter to the Ephesians isn't aimed at just informing them of theological teaching points so they could be intellectually benefited. He's telling them this so that they can live it out. But to live it out, we're going to need the Spirit of God to captain the ship of our lives. Jesus sums the whole thing up in John 13 when he says, If you know these things, happy, blessed are you if you do them. So Christian, if you want to be happy in your walk, it takes more than just knowing lots of stuff about the Bible and being able to quote verses. You have to live it out. Because if you know it and you do it, you'll be happy. If you know it and you don't do it, you're not going to be happy. So I know so many people have different ideas what it means to be spirit filled. So let me get my definition of what I'm talking about here out at the start. Okay, to me, in this context, in Ephesians, Paul, when he talks about being filled with the Spirit, he means about being overwhelmingly conscious of the presence and the power of the work of God in you. That's where Paul wants to take us with this chapter. Because instinctively, when we are on that altar of sacrifice, we squirm because it's hard how do I talk to my friends about Christ? How do I tell people I care that they could be going to hell? How can I deal with it? That's too hard. And so Paul is pointing the church at Ephesus in this book towards a place by saying, okay, by yourself you can't. To walk this way in your own part. it's impossible to, it's too hard by yourself. That's why we have to be careful. Many Christians try to live out their lives this way and it's hard, so be careful here how you go. But when you can be but when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you can do. See, that moment when we're saved, we receive the indwelling Holy Spirit of God in us. Every single Christian has the Spirit in them. But what, that, what we mean when we say Christians should be filled with the Spirit then, means that we're talking about being controlled by the Spirit, having an outflowing of the Spirit in our lives. So, come away from religion for a while. You hear people talking about being filled with anger and filled with jealousy. It means that what they go on to do and what they go on to say is controlled by that anger, by that jealousy. It takes over them. They are filled with it. So, in the same way, the Bible is saying, be filled with the Spirit. So when we're altar of sacrifice, we let go of our motives, we let go of our goals and we allow God to move. And he does. And we experience God at work in us and through us in a powerful way. And when that happens, we are filled with the Spirit. So forget unbiblical notions of second blessings or second anointings. We don't need the Holy Spirit to come and anoint us again. We do not need any more of the Spirit. The Spirit needs more of us. That's why this series has the flow that it does. He saves me. Then, in response to all that He's done, to the mercies of God, I say, "Okay, God, here I am. Work in my life." And God says, "Okay, good. You're going to need my help. Let me have control. Let yourself be filled with my Spirit. I'm your Savior, but you've got to let me be Lord." That's being filled with the Spirit. And then Ephesians. Paul has been layering up the characteristics of a Christian's lifestyle. In chapter 4 verse 1 he says walk worthy to this calling. In chapter 5 verse 2 he says walk in love. In verse 8 he says walk as children of the light. In verse 15 he'll say walk circumspectly as wise not as fools. Why? Because walking is a call to how we go through this life. It's a lifestyle that Paul is calling us to. He's calling the church to live out the truth of the Bible every single day. Of their lives and in doing so sometimes as christians we'll rush to galatians for example and go to the fruit of the spirit and say okay we've got to focus on being joyful focus on being loving focus on being peace and we strive for these things but in ephesians paul tells us here like that's not you got it the wrong way around the focus should be on the spirit part of that title the fruit of the spirit let the spirit have control then the fruit will come as a result and so in chapter 5 Walk in love, walk in light. And I love it all. Let's pick up in verse 9, which sums it all up. It says, For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Live a life characterised by goodness, righteousness and truth. Now let me pause here because I want to read verses 11 and 12 and take a bit of a side note here. It says, Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It's shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. You see, the Christian life is a life of action. You can't do nothing. It's not enough to ignore evil and to keep yourself out of it. We have to stand up against it. Here, scripture demands that we expose and oppose the evils of this world. And I raise this because of the focus on racism at the moment, especially in America. It goes without saying, black lives matter. For we're all created in the image of God we start there in Genesis 1 go to Acts 17 verse 26 and read that from one man all men were created there is only one race the human race all are made in the image of God all have stemmed from Adam biblically speaking then racism is a sinful ethnic prejudice it is a sinful attitude of the heart that elevates one person over the other folks go beyond the labels The people put on it because this is a problem of the heart and it requires then a solution of the heart. In Mark 7 verse 20, Jesus says, What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, like racism, but also sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, weakness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within. They defile a person racism is an expression of these attitudes so the root cause is a defiled heart it is sin the solution then is not just saying we've got to stop the hate what we have to do is transform hearts that can love the way god loves and so i just wanted to highlight how ephesians here draws us to take action in this we have to expose and oppose the wrongs of this world George Floyd dying because a policeman refused to take his knee off his neck while he screams that he can't breathe is unjustifiable murder. End of. And Christians must lend their weight to that. But we then also have to go further and add our voice to the pro-life campaign. Black lives matter. And we don't change that. But what we also say is... Because we have to say it because black lives are devalued by many. But unborn black lives still matter. White unborn lives matter. If lives matter full stop then they all matter. Regardless of colour, pigment, religion, sexuality, how old they may be. Lives matter and we must fight against anything that we dare cheapen that. We are made in the image of God. So run over. Let's go back to the text. Take those three principles from verse 9. Goodness, righteousness, truth. Apply them. Generally to the specific circumstances that you're in, and it will give you guidance. Not just to role play hypotheticals, but then actually go and confront sin for the sake of the people who are suffering because of that sin. Let's go, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. So again, hear the advice that Paul is giving. Be careful how you go. There's consequences to how you walk through this life. It's not enough to simply say, I'm saved, so I'm sorted. Don't sleepwalk through your Christian life. So many Christians just hope that someday they're going to wake up and they're going to be just suddenly filled with the Holy Spirit or they're just going to wake up and they're going to be spiritually mature. It doesn't work like that. We have to be wise and we have to be active. And it's interesting that in the middle of this, Paul says we have to be wise because we have a limited window of opportunity. here. Time is short. The days are evil. So you only have a short space of time to make an impact for God. Yes, you're bound for heaven. But once you're in heaven, you're not going to be able to tell your friends or family about Christ anymore. So have a think about this. Wake up. Wise up. Stop drifting through hoping everything's just going to happen around you. Time is short. And if you want the people around you to hear the gospel, well, why do you think God put them around you? It's like a doctor being surrounded with sick people and thinking, <laughs> somebody really should look after all these people. If only I could think of someone who could do that. Come on. We have to be wise. God has put us here for a purpose. Don't ignore yours. And now we get to the focus of this morning. Reading verses 17 and 18. Let's just read it again to remind ourselves. It says, Therefore, because of us, don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. And don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. Therefore, he says, in light of this call to use our time wisely, in light of this warning about being foolish, we have to respond. God wants us to walk a certain way, to live a certain way, with our lives on the altar. But that's terrifying. So the question comes, okay, well, how? How can I do that? Well, Paul says, well, don't be foolish. Understand what God's plan. Understand what God's will is. Now, being foolish in the Bible, for the non-believer, for the for someone who's not a Christian, it says, well, the fool says in their heart that there is no God. So you can have some very highly educated fools about the place. But for the believer to be foolish, it's obviously a different standard a foolish christian can be someone who seeing all this thinks nope i'm i don't have to act i will not act i'm opting out of this i'll drift along for the good stuff for the perks but i'm not going to bother with the hard stuff the bible says that that's foolish But the other extreme is to be consumed with anxiety and becoming panicky. Now, it can be easy to be overwhelmed at times, especially in these strange and uncertain times. And it can lead us as Christians to withdraw and opt out, which as we've already said is foolish. We cannot do. We have to be willing to see sin as sin and call it out as sin. But when we get scared, we can also become foolish in the sense that we get hyper. Think of like a 10 year old who starts drinking Red Bull or two pots of coffee you know and they run around doing a million things but it's erratic it's not precise it's not careful or caring and we lose our effectiveness in a frenzied outburst of activity only to crash and burn out well that's foolish as well rather aware that the time is short aware that the need is great we then must also remind ourselves that god is good and this urgency drives us to him okay, God, what are your orders? What's your will for me in these times? We don't have a lot of time left, so you need to tell me what I am doing right now, right? And that's verse 17. Don't be foolish. Don't ply on ahead. Understand what God's will is. That's why Paul is saying, look, you gotta be careful. So many Christians get saved, then run around doing their own thing in their own strength. And they're so busy in uncommanded work and unnecessary church programs that we confuse the results. We say, well, look, There's lots of people in the building. Look, we're helping people. Good. But when we don't make our will God's will, when we don't first go to him and seek out his will, he can do little with us because he has so little of us. And this is where being spirit-filled comes into. When God has control of us and what we do and how we do it, when we are available totally for him, rather than just assuming that we know Our will and desires will align themselves with God's and then he will fulfill the promise of Psalm 37, which says in verse uh, 34, verse seven, it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. How do we do that? How do we get that spirit filled life? Well, verse 18 starts off in an interesting way because when you read from verse 17 into verse 18, here's the flow, it says, okay, so understand what God's will is. Don't get drunk, that's a sin filled with the spirit why bring wine into this i mean at the start of the message i i said about being filled with anger and filled with jealousy those were my examples paul was the wine don't get full on wine don't let it control you be full on the spirit why Now be careful how you respond to this because some people will say well Paul wants us to be drunk on God, to be drunk on the Holy Spirit. I can tell you now, that's not it, okay? That's unbiblical and ungodly in so many ways. I don't even have time to start to unpack that right now, okay? But when you see someone who's drunk, very often you'll see someone who's not in control of their faculties, slurred speech. Generally speaking, it's unfiltered. They'll say anything that comes into their head. They're quite unpredictable in their behaviour. So take us a, st- a step back further. Why do people turn to drink in the first place? Well, It's called happy hour for a reason, right? People turn to drink to escape the tough, evil days that Paul has mentioned. They drink because they can't. It's the best way of numbing the pain. It's the best way, a gateway of having a good time, they think. But Christ offers the escape from the pain that wine offers and so, so much more. And so here he's saying, okay, through these tough times, don't turn to the world's coping mechanisms. Give yourself over to God which is why we need to be careful. We need to be wise. Think about how you live. You you hear people, and you hear Christians say, oh, it's been a tough day. I just need to get home and have that glass of wine. So, hold on. Why? That's not how the Bible tells us that we deal with our tough days, our evil days. The command is to run to God. Let the joy of the Lord be our strength. Let him renew us so that we can rise up on wings of eagles and run and not be weary. And so it's that sense of, Oh, I need that glass of wine. No, we need Jesus. I think that's the sin here that Paul's highlighting. Who are we depending on at the end of the day to lift our burdens? No, don't let the wine control you. Don't let that be the first thing that you run to. Run to God. Let him have control. Listen to Psalm 4, okay, verse 7 and 8. I think it's really, really good here. It just says, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So follow the flow here so far. We're saved. We're willing to come to Christ and let him use us, but it's hard. It's hard to walk in love and light and wisdom. So instead of turning to worldly things to comfort us and to give us confidence, and some of the most confident people I've ever met are the ones who are drunkest, instead we turn to God. Give me an understanding in these uncertain times, God. Show me your will. Fill me with your spirit. Now let me show you four things very quickly here about this command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Number one, it's the completeness of it. The world filled. The word filled means to be full to the top. If there is room for any other thing in your hearts, then we're not completely filled with the Spirit. To be filled means there's no room for anyone else to call the shots. In your walk, your talk, your thoughts, your attitudes, your actions, everything. His will should be our will. His thoughts should be our thoughts. His desires should be our desires. The Holy Spirit should be an absolute domination of our lives. We, you see we don't get to hold on to control over who we did we don't get to choose to hold on to some grudges we don't get to free control we don't get to control who which neighbors we're nice to We don't get to pick and choose he's either in complete control or he's not in complete control to be filled is an absolute you can't claim to be completely full when you're only eighty percent filled who has that other twenty percent and that's that fight of faith. Number two, consistency. The little, little verb is an active tense. So literally, we're to carry on being filled. It's a continual process. You never reach a point where we stop being filled until we get to heaven. We are continually in the process of being filled up with the Holy Spirit in our life. So in one sense, our prayer should be, Lord, just leave the taps on. Leave the taps on, Lord. I need you to keep on filling me and I need to be keep on being refilled with you in my life number three compliance this verb is active tense but it's also passive voice it means that this filling is something that is done to us it's not something we do by ourselves we we've tried um, to we're, we are tied to the altar of sacrifice Lord here I am I I'm standing on this altar here so it, it's up to you to come and fill me. So here we are called to be filled with God, but the filler is also God. So I point you to Romans 15 here to help understand. Romans 15 verse 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. We're filled by believing. It comes from believing in him. Fight that fight of faith. Fight to stay on the altar because even though the ideal situation is to always be full all the time, we we know from experience that that's not how life works. That's the ideal scenario. So we fight this fight of faith that we may always abound in hope. So that's why Psalm 42 says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God or, or anchor yourself Fix yourself on God, believe in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation. The completeness, the consistency, the compliance, fourthly, the command. It's worthy of note. This verb is active, passive, and it's also in the imperative. That makes it a command. Paul is not offering us an option here, a suggestion for living but he's laying out a command of God for our lives. The picture I I can best come up with is like a glove. Uh, Until the hand of God is in us and fills that glove, we are lifeless and empty and useless. But when that spirit of God comes in and fills us and operates us, we are powerful, not because of who we are, but because of who is in us. We are filled with him. Every part of our lives, every little finger is moving and active because he has access to it all. How do you test this? How do you know if someone you meet is spirit-filled? Speaking in tongues? No. How do you know if a large container of water is filled if you can't see through the sides? If you bump into it and it's full, you'll get splashed. Church, my prayer for you is that if you are all staying safe and socially distant, figuratively, I'm praying for you that when people bump into you, whether it's because they're angry at you or jealous or bitter or whatever, or they're wrapped up in their own stuff. My prayer is that when people bump into you, they get soaked in the overflowing of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. Because what's on the inside of us is going to naturally come out. So when someone bumps into you, they'll get soaked, they'll get hit with a tidal wave of that fruit of the Spirit coming out. So they bump you, whether they're angry or bitter or preoccupied, and they're getting covered in love And forgiveness and patience and long-suffering and peace. You see, if it wasn't for this verse, verse 18, this whole book of Ephesians would be quite depressing because it's asking us to do something that we can never achieve if we're stuck trying to do it by ourselves. Where we're stuck with, okay, God saved us, but now we can't do any more than that by ourselves. And there's always just that cycle of getting on and off the altar and on and off the altar and on and off the altar. Paul here is recognising it's impossible to do it by ourselves. To walk in unity and love and wisdom and humility and consistency without God also helping us and filling us and equipping us to do so. And so then as you go on into the rest of the chapter, which we're not going to do, you'll see that spirit-filled person will naturally sing and be thankful. Folks, the spirit-filled life is not the Wild West of crazy, loopy, charismatic Christianity. But neither is a begrudging obedience to a set of rules and regulations. It's something that can be achievable and it is something that is desirable. That when we sacrifice our lives on the altar of God, because of all that he has done, we say, here I am, Lord, use me. And then we let him. With all goodness and righteousness and truth speaking up against the sins of this world. And making the most of the time we have on this earth to do all we can for him. Through him working in us. So what's God's will for your life? Be saved. Be a sacrifice. Folks, be spirit filled. Give him full control. And trust in him. God bless. I'll see you soon.